Drew and Jonathan Scott here to tell you that American Family Insurance wants to protect your dreams. So whether you're at home singing in the shower, every note, or prefer singing your heart out in the car like Drew, cruising, you can save up to 23% when you bundle your home and auto insurance with American Family Insurance. Get a quote or find an agent at amfam.com. Insure carefully, dream fearlessly. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. The Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome back, one and all. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. And we're coming to you from our broadcast center and studio facilities in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to send me an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com on all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV. And to find out about the programming we have available for you 24-7, 365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network, visit www.xzbn.net. Exonation, my guest this hour is Michael Mays. And Michael has investigating sightings of both out of place known animals and those that may or, or may not exist. For the last 15 years, he has appeared on numerous podcasts and radio programs and on the low files on the AE television network. Michael blogs at the Texas Cryptid Hunter and is the author of the illustrated children's book, Patty, a Sasquatch Story. His website or blogspot is texascryptidhunter.blogspot.com. And Michael, welcome back to the Exxon. Thank you, Rob. I appreciate it. Okay, so uh, for the listeners who may not have heard you the last time you are on there with us, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became interested in cryptozoology, you know, Black Panthers in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, well, we'll take it a more general level okay. first, I suppose, uh, and then narrow it down to the mm-hmm. to the black cats. Uh, grew up uh, kind of a child of the seventies. Um, it was a almost a golden age for that sort of thing. The Patterson Gimlin film oh, yeah. had been out a little while, and uh, I'd seen that in the movie theater, and that just 
just fascinated me. And so I pretty much devoured everything I could get a hold of regarding Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, Yeti, uh, et cetera. Um, lots of good TV shows on at that time. Leonard Nimoy's oh, in search of, search of and, yeah. uh, and things like that just, you know, got, just really got me excited. And, uh, matter of fact, uh, I, I checked out all the monster books in my elementary school library so often that the, uh, the librarian told me I could only check them out every other time. She was worried about me not being a, um, well-rounded young man. So she, uh, said I could only check out my monster books every other trip to the library, which I didn't understand at all. But, uh, most folks, I guess, grew out of that sort of thing. And I, I guess I never did. Um, as far as the Black Panthers go, I, I never really equated large black cats to unknown animals like Bigfoot or Nessie or anything like that. Um, matter of fact, I was well into my 30s as an East Texan before I realized that science did not recognize the existence of any such animal. Uh, it was news to me. Um, as uh, people who grew up in that part of the world where I did in East Texas, the Piney Woods area of East Texas, uh, they were just another animal in the woods out in the bottoms. And uh, they weren't common by any means, but neither were they something that was shocking if somebody saw them. Um, so once I found out that there wasn't supposed to be any such animals, it, you know, that really intrigued me, and I really began to look at it in depth. Tell me, Michael, have you yourself seen a black cat? I have not seen uh, a black cat. I, I have been privileged enough to see a, uh, a mountain lion mm -hmm. in East Texas uh, and in an area where they're not supposed to be. But, you know, I guess someone forgot to tell him because there <laughs> he was. Uh, um, and there was no mistaking about it. But uh, I have myself not seen a large black cat. No. Um. Are these cats just jaguars, or uh, why are they such a, an anomaly if, you know, Texas, you know, couldn't something come up from Central America and kind of end up in Texas? Mm -hmm. Well, I guess I guess that's really the million-dollar question yeah. is, is, you know, what are people seeing? People, first of all, they say, what, what do you mean there's no such thing as a, as a black panther? And, and just that term... Uh, is kind of a catch-all phrase for any large, long-tailed uh, black cat. They said, you know, we've seen them in the movies. Sure. We've seen them on TV. Um, what you're seeing there, mostly 90%, I would say, are, are melanistic leopards. And, and leopards, of course, are not native to North America. Those are African and, and sure. Asiatic cats. Um, now, jaguars are native to the Americas. They're the biggest cat in the new world and uh at one time they were native to texas as well as most of the north american continent so they're a great candidate uh for what people are seeing the problem is they have supposedly been hunted almost completely out of north america and the other issue is that it is thought that only about somewhere between 5 and 10%, with 10% being on the high side of these jaguars, exhibit melanism and are black. So there are some problems with that theory, too. But um, that is one of the 
most reasonable theories, I suppose, along with the fact that some people believe that that mountain lions can occasionally be black. They're they're great candidates, except for the fact that they're not supposed to be black. We've never had a melanistic uh, mountain lion right. observed anywhere. And, uh, and that that well, you know, you have albinos in in many species. So mm-hmm. why couldn't there just be the reverse of an albino? Who knows? What is your take on the you know, what a black cat is? Well, uh, I, personally, I, I don't think there's any one single candidate that's the answer for every visual that takes place out mm-hmm. there. Um, it is a fact, and, and, and this is where sometimes we're hard on wildlife officials and because they are so quick to dismiss sightings of, uh, of any kind of cryptid creature, but it, it is a fact that as a society, we have become much more urban and not many of us get off the, the concrete that often anymore. And, and as such, there are an awful lot of people out there who aren't very familiar with their wildlife. So, right. um, their misidentification is something that does happen. I, I get weekly emails from someone who's very excited or frightened even that they have seen a mountain lion in their neighborhood and they've they got a picture of it and they want me to look at it and uh almost without exception i've opened those up and they're bobcats people just don't know you know their wildlife so misidentification is a factor there's no doubt about it um the jaguar theory is is certainly one that I think is plausible in many cases. Um, there's a there's another theory outside of jaguars and and, and cougars that uh, that interests me a great deal, and that is the the theory that feral cats are growing to unusually large sizes, and that's what people are seeing, and it's it's very true that we have a big feral cat problem in this country yes and um you know people kind of scoff at that how could you know a little house cat basically that you know maybe two generations removed from you know a domestic cat how could it grow to such a size that that people would mistake it for something panther size because you know people when they say panther they're talking about a big cat yes uh, but the fact of the matter is that seems to be exactly what's happening down in Australia. I've, I've followed that pretty carefully, and there's actually a chapter in the book about large feral cats being a candidate. They have shot um, cats down in Australia uh, that have been DNA tested and found to be catus, catus, just domestic house cats, just feral but they're the size of small leopards. Um, it, it's it's pretty crazy. And um, um, the most famous example um, was one. Oh, what was the gentleman's name that that, sh- that um, shot that cat? Uh, his name was Kurt Engel. Kurt Engel was his name. Anyway, this this cat measured in excess of five feet from nose to tail. And it was over 60 pounds. If, you know, sure. somebody sees that, they're not thinking of a, of a little domestic kitty. Well, no, they're, because they're that's, that's, 
Well, that's the kitty cat that's going, you're doggy, doggy, doggy. Exactly right. And <laughs> you're so, doggy. So if it's happening down there, yeah. um, certainly we have the feral cat issue as well. Um, you know, every little town municipality has a dog catcher and animal control. They'll All right, we're going to have to help. take a little bit of a cliffhanger sure. here and talk about the giant-sized kitties when we come back on the other side of this break. Exo Nation, my guest this hour is Michael Mays, and his blog spot is texascryptidhunter.blogspot.com. And we'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't forget the June-July edition of the X-Chronicles newspaper will be available June 10 at www.xchroniclesnewspaper.com. Michael Mays is my guest this hour, Exonation. Uh, you can check him out at texascryptidhunter.blogspot.com. A five-foot-long cat from nose to tip of the tail, 60-some-odd pounds. Wow. Correct. Yeah. Um, it was tested. There, there are photographs. Of course, photographs can be tricky. Sure. If you know anyone in your family who's a fisherman, they're famous for... <laughs> Forced perspective, you know, holding uh, the fish out closer to the camera to make it appear a little bigger. Uh, there are photographs of the cat, but uh, nothing that you that has something in it to definitively show scale. But um, it was said to weigh about 66 pounds and be in excess of five uh, feet. The the tail itself was close to three feet long, and the tail is um, the part that was tested. Um, and again, it came back as just a regular, basically a domestic cat, uh, but th this thing was just unbelievably large. And there have been several other specimens taken down there, none quite that big. But, um, you know, somebody sees a 45, 50-pound long-tailed cat that's black, they're, they're not thinking house cat, they're nope. thinking, you know, panther. And again, if it's if it's happening down there, there's not really a reason it, it couldn't happen here, in my opinion. Tell me, Michael, have there been any attacks on people, livestock, and and so on in modern times? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I, I suppose it depends on modern. I haven't found a a credible incident. Credible being the key word, where someone was really hurt by one of these cats. Um, there was a, a report out of Alabama four or five years ago, a man claiming that he had been attacked by a large black cat. Um, that turned out to be a, a claim that was on pretty shaky ground, so I don't put much stock in it. I, I can tell you there's there are some historical accounts that go back to the late 1800s. Um, the most recent account I can share with you that would fall along these lines is very recent within, within the last six or seven months, a lady outside of um, Greenville, Texas, which is up in the Northeastern part of the, of the state 
uh, has a beautiful piece of property. It's about 300 acres of uh, hardwood river bottoms on the Sabine River. And uh, they're nature lovers. They, they take hikes. She's got uh, uh, several children, and they like to spend time out there. And her daughter was out for a walk and um, came across a large black cat that was in a tree. And it growled and, and carried on at her came down out of the tree and there for a second or two it seemed to be about a 50 50 proposition as to which way it was going to go um it chose to trot off in the opposite direction the daughter and she turned around and went the other way so a, a potentially serious confrontation was avoided there that same property just weeks ago uh this time it was her son um he was out on a, um, an ATV with a friend of his, and, and uh, they had stopped. Uh, they'd been out there hunting hogs, and they had stopped, and they came across something in the brush that was growling, really deep growling. You know, the, these young men are very familiar with the outdoors. They know what a hog sounds like. They said this, this was something else, and they, they backed away, got back on their um, – on their ATV and started to leave the area and uh, the friend looked back and this big dark cat was trotting after them. Um, it did not seem to be in hot pursuit as if it was trying to catch them. Right. It was more of uh, it's escorting them out of its territory kind of a uh, behavior that that's the feeling the boys got, but it shook them up pretty bad. Um, I do have some game cameras up on the, property now and i'm scheduled to go in there to uh to try to do some hunting and uh got a game caller we're going to see if we can call it in and at least get a look at it and see what it might be but um those are two of the more aggressive encounters that um that i'm familiar with in real recent times but there are no attacks on livestock or poultry or 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 domestic animals you know, that's one of those things that everybody has a friend of a friend who, <laughs> who reports that. Um, certainly, the problem with any kind of a livestock kill, it, it's the same problem you have with a, a footprint or a track. Um, you may be able to identify, due to the nature of the wounds on, on the horse or the cow or whatever type of livestock it might be, that it was a cat of some kind that that, that took it. Mm-hmm. However, unless you're standing there watching it happen, you you have no idea what color the cat was. True. That 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 took that livestock. So that that's one of the problems uh, with that. But uh, certainly there have been kills associated with big cats, though. Um, you know, all over the state. What do the officials uh, say, the game wardens, uh, about the possibility of these giant cats? Well, they say it's, you know, it's not a possibility. Um, and it's hard to blame them. There's scant evidence. It's anecdotal. There are some photographs, but um, I think we've all kind of learned these days that a, a photograph alone is just not sure. going to serve as evidence um so these giant cats are in the same predicament that that bigfoot is in oh yeah absolutely sure um it's 
it's photoshopped. It's been manipulated somehow. How do we know where this photograph was taken? Uh, it's there's nothing in it showing scale to really prove that this was a big cat as opposed to a small cat. Um, you know, all those factors come into play, and and it is true that uh, jaguars um, are thought to be extirpated, thought to have been eliminated in Texas. Um, a long time ago, it's been a long time since a, a, a sighting that was officially recognized has occurred right. in Texas. And it is thought and accepted by science that uh, a cougar or a mountain lion does not exhibit melanism. So uh, there, there are some smaller cats that uh, a bobcat occasionally can be black, but they don't have the long tail. So that doesn't leave much, and, and that's where sometimes you get the, well, it must be an escaped pet um, because the exotic pet trade is big business in this country, and uh, big cats are kind of the crown jewel of that trade. Why are there so many feral cats in Texas? Well, uh, th- that's a good question. Um, it's why are there so many everywhere? Yeah. Um, it's people are... You know, typically there are leash laws for dogs. Dogs yes. have to be pinned up. They have to be kept in uh, a fenced yard or in a house. Mm-hmm. Um, cats, on the other hand, while there may be laws that say they're not supposed to be allowed to just roam around. How are you going to stop it? Okay. Right? I'm sorry? I said, how are you going to stop it? Well, you, you, yeah, most yeah. people let them out in the morning and, and let them back in at some time in the evening. Who knows what the heck they've been doing all yeah. day. Um, and some just put them out, you know, they have a litter and and they don't want to take care of them and, and they just put them out and cats are very resilient. Um, and they've been responsible for a lot of damage, uh, particularly the bird population has suffered because of the feral cat problems that we've, we've got, you know, if you think about it, every dog, every town rather has a, has a dog catcher, animal control come pick up a dog they're thought that could be dangerous but there's nobody going around picking up cats very often if, if you're lucky some some city official might put out a couple of live traps but uh that that even that doesn't happen very often how about roadkill have there been any reports of these cats getting getting smucked by vehicles um well there's one in particular that i go into a lot of detail uh, in the book uh, about um, was several years back um, outside of a central Texas uh, town, very rural area, Madisonville area. And uh, you know, a man who followed the blog uh, contacted me, said he had hit uh, a big black cat um, the, the night before and that he had, had damaged the front end of the front end of his car and um he honestly had no desire to go looking in the brush he'd hit it it had gotten up and it had kind of meandered into the wood line said he had no real desire to to go looking after a possibly wounded animal you can't blame uh, the guy (laughs) yeah exactly but he was adamant it was not a hog it was not a uh any kind of a dog like a Mm -hmm. coyote or anything like that and one and he described it, you know, as, as being, you know, bumper high to his vehicle and, and four or five feet in length. And you're really limiting uh, your 
possible suspects in Texas, uh, if you get outside of the hog and the dog and the coyote, as far as what could be that big. Well, he got home, he drove, he managed to nurse his car back to Dallas, despite the damage to his front end. And the next morning, he uh, came out to kind of inspect it in the daylight, take a little closer look at it. And he found a bunch of black hair stuck to his front bumper where, where he had made contact with this animal. And he had the presence of mind to collect those and uh, wanted to know if I'd be interested in taking them and, and maybe trying to do some testing on them. All right, stand by. We're going to have to do another cliffhanger. Okay. This, uh, we've got to do our news break. Exonation. Michael Mays is our special guest. W, uh, check him. He's got a wet, he's got a blog spot. It's uh, texascryptidhunter.blogspot.com. And Michael and I will be back on the other side of this news break at the bottom of the hour talking about Black Panthers, big cats. And of course, we're going to have to get into Bigfoot as well. This is the excellent I am Rob McConnell. Don't go away. talking to Michael Mays this hour. His uh, blog is texascryptidhunter.blogspot.com. Michael has investigated sightings of both out-of-place known animals and those that may or may not exist for the last 15 years. He's appeared on numerous podcast and radio programs and on the Lowe's Files on any television network. Michael blogs at as I said, the, cryptid, the Texas Cryptid Hunter, and is the author of the illustrated children's book, Patty, a Sasquatch Story. All right, so you've got this gentleman who hits this big cat, and he is a very smart man. He doesn't want to go out and chase after a possibly injured animal. Next morning, he uh, finds black hair or fur in his grill. Take it from there, my friend. Well, again, he had the presence of mind to, to collect those hair samples, mm -hmm. and he had contacted me to relate his story and ask if I would be interested in getting my hands on these hair samples yep. and possibly having someone take a look at them, test them to see what might they be. Um, this was, of course, very exciting to me. Um, the, here was possibly concrete evidence that these mythical cats actually existed. Um, so he was a man of his word. He sent those to me. And um, so I immediately began to contact every biology department of every university I could think of here in the state of Texas and um, was very disappointed with the results of that, of, of all these uh, universities I contacted. Only two responded. Uh, one was just to lecture me on how I was wasting my time because there was no such thing as a Black Panther. And I said, well, how can you definitively say that? He said, because there's no evidence to support it. I said, well, I might have evidence to support it. He's, and then he would come back and say, well, your evidence cannot be valid because there's no such species. So the, the circuitous nature of the argument was just infuriating. And so that was a dead end. Um, one university 
head of the biology department got back to me and he was very friendly. Uh, it was in Southeast Texas. I'll leave it at that. But, uh, he had claimed himself to have seen one of these black Panthers, um, down in Southeast Texas shortly after, I believe it was hurricane Rita. They were doing some trying to do some census numbers on some animals or something along those lines. And, said he had seen one biggest day, he just walked across the road right, right in front of him. So I thought, okay, here's the guy. This is the guy. It's the head of the biology department. He said, now, I'm, he's, he was a herpetologist, a reptile guy. He said, I'll get with my mammal guy, and, and I'll get back to you. Well, a week went by, two weeks went by. Um, so I, I sent him another email, another contact, and he did get back to me, but this time he was much colder. Mm-hmm. And my guess is he did talk to his mammal guy who probably gave him a hard time about it. And he decided that he was not interested after all. Uh, this despite him having shared with me that he saw one himself. So um, I have since um, talked to some other um, people you would have heard of who've yeah. done some cryptozoology type work. They've appeared on some of the TV shows and things like that, uh, asking if they would be interested in taking a look, and they've all turned me down as Why? well. Yeah, I don't understand this. I've, and I've got to tell you, Michael, <clears throat> here you've got a group of people who, instead of working together to solve the mystery, would rather compartmentalize their evidence is it because they want to have the glory of, of the final find and they don't want to share it with anybody? I, I don't understand that, that, that mentality. Well, uh, to, to a large degree, I don't either. Um, science is about discovery and, sure. and, and, and searching out new things. Uh, mm -hmm. However, um, to be fair, uh, you know, these guys have a right to look at or not look at whatever they want to their time, True. And their busy people and, and, and and I do know, too, there seems to be a real hesitancy to be the one that goes out on that limb um, because it could easily get sawed off right behind you, I suppose. But uh, I don't really understand why there would be any kind of stigma attached to someone who just looked at at the samples. Right. I You know, they may turn out to be nothing. Um, that's all I want to know. Um, and I, I did have a, a friend of mine look them over. He did a, he looked at them under a microscope. And matter of fact, I did this before I contacted the universities. He, he's an amateur, um, biologist. He, he, he does have a degree in, in wildlife biology, but he, he's not a expert in hair morphology or anything like that, but he has his own microscope and set up and, and, he found a hair atlas of, of mammals, and they didn't match any known native animals in Texas as far as what they looked like. And he said they're not an exact match, but the closest match he could come come to was, was that of a leopard. He says, I really think you need to have somebody look at these. So I took the photographs that he took under his microscope, and I sent those to these people that I contacted. And still, nobody was interested. So they're sitting in an envelope. They're in my nightstand drawer as we speak, just waiting, just waiting for the chance to be examined at some point. You know, I've had the pleasure of talking to people like you, Jeff Meldrum, and, uh, you know, the list goes on and on and on when it comes to Bigfoot. And then 
I hear the same thing when it comes to ufology. I hear the same thing when it comes to ancient mysteries and archaeological mm -hmm. finds. It's as if the world just does not want to accept that they, members of academia, the scientific community, may have been wrong. And they just don't want to admit, you know what? We, we, we were wrong. Bigfoot is real. UFOs are real. Ghosts okay. are real. Why not tell the truth? Are we that... Are we that naive or are we that immature that we wouldn't accept the fact that, hey, you were honest enough with us. Thanks for correcting it. Like, my gosh, mm -hmm. you're in the educational system. Kids are still being taught today that Christopher Columbus discovered the Americas, and we know that's a bunch of bunk. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I, I don't completely understand it, like I said. Mm -hmm. I, I do know that you know it, it wouldn't have to be some unknown species for it to be really exciting news if it turned out that this was a jaguar and it was in central texas yeah. this is way north and east of where the northernmost part of their range is supposed to be this would be exciting news this would be a a native species that's been gone for decades possibly reestablishing itself in its natural habitat, which to me, I think would be a great feel good story, you know, environmentally when, when so many things seem to be just terrible, this would be a great story. This would be almost as exciting as if it were something brand new. Um, so I, yeah, I, I don't quite get it other than I, I do understand time constraints and I, I do understand testing takes time and money um, but, um, but, it, but, but it's frustrating, but isn't the honesty and the integrity of the scientific community, those members of academia who the public put so much trust and faith in, isn't it worth to them to actually take the time, spend the bucks to establish whether or not this is a species that should not have been found in Texas, or whatever the phenomena is, the unknown. We, well, you would think, yeah. I, I'll, I've got a story, I believe we talked a little bit about it last time. Uh, uh, there was a study in Ontario, in your neck of the woods there, um, where the Ontario Ministry of Natural Resources, yep, I believe is the title, right. Uh, of the organization, they did a study. They were trying to find out if uh, mountain lions had made their way back into Ontario and were living there. And this was a long study. This was a decade-long study. Uh, um, and they had game cameras, and they had not just a bunch of volunteer observers who sat in blinds and things like These were wildlife biologists. These were highly credentialed, credible people who were participating in this study and uh, there were dozens of sightings of what were described as black pumas or black yep. cougars there was even a photograph taken just outside of guelph ontario which i believe is not too far from where you are it's very close um and it, there it is, big as day. It is obviously a very large, long-tailed black cat. And there it is. Yeah. Um, but the purpose of the study was to see if mountain lions were in Ontario, not black cats. 
the black cat sightings were dismissed. Well, you know, I remember when I was at CKTB in St. Catharines as the executive producer of talk radio programming, covering a story about giant black cats or a giant black cat being seen in the Niagara region be around, uh, let me see, it would have been Niagara, Niagara Falls, uh, Welland, Port Colborne, Fort Erie in that, in that square. And, you know, once again, witnesses yeah, it, saw it, the it, cat, but, no, but nobody ever was able to get the evidence. Yeah, I mean, in, in the photograph, it was actually um, labeled a black jaguar by Dr. Rick Rosat, who was working for the Department of the Ministry of Natural Resources. All right, stand by, Michael. We've got to take our final break. Exxon Nation, Michael Mays is our special guest. TexasCryptidHunter.blogspot.com, and we'll be back as we wrap up this hour here in the Exxon from our broadcast studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, about 30 minutes south of Guelph. We'll be back. Don't go away. Can you imagine that? Walking down the road or in the forest hearing, here, doggy, 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 doggy. <laughs> I, I joke, but you know what? I was in law enforcement for many years before getting into the radio industry. And in law enforcement, you communicate, you exchange information because you're trying to solve a crime. Once again, it goes back to my question, why doesn't the the cryptid societies or the UFO societies or the ghost uh, investigators or the, you know, whatever, exchange information. If you've got everybody working on the same level, exchanging information, the mystery will be solved that much faster. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with that. Yeah. Um, but uh, being in law enforcement, I'm sure you know many, many times when agencies failed to can communicate FBI to CIA to local to state to whatever, and as a result, something slipped through the cracks. And I, I got to tell you something up here in Canada, it's totally different. Like we share the same database. Hmm. You know, if if I'm in, in in somewhere in Quebec and I run an inquiry, it goes into the RCMP database. It's called CPIC, Canadian Police Information Center. The information wow. is put in by all the agencies into the one data bank so that law enforcement across Canada, whether you're Canada Customs, uh, whether you're RCMP, QPP, Ontario Provincial Police or a Municipal Police Force, CN Police, CP Police, Military Police, you all have the same access to the same information. Well, we could probably learn something from you guys then. And I've heard this from many. I've I've got good friends who are in law enforcement in the states, and they say, "Rob, you got to be kidding." Well, no, that's the way it was. You know, in Quebec, you'd call into the Quebec police force that would tag on to the CPEC system, and you'd get your information. Now it's through eighty uh, the um, the uh, portable data units, and you in the car, bang, you get the information. It is shared, and. This is why I can't understand the same procedures or the same 
concept is not used within the paranormal community, whether it's Bigfoot, whether it's UFOs, ghosts, uh, mm-hmm. you name it. One database so that all the researchers who pay for everything out of their own pockets, their own expenses, equi- equipment, and the list goes on, would have this valuable tool to help them, you know, find, get to the bottom of this mystery. Yeah, I, I do think in the when it comes to universities and, and the 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 subject of, of, of tenure is a mm-hmm. big thing. And you don't want to be the guy rocking the boat if you're trying to get tenure. And and that unfortunately seems to um, be the driving force between you know with a lot of these guys who who could really you know, help uh, with a lot of these matters. But what does that tell you about the ethics of these people if they will shun the possibility of establishing or or uh, discovering something just mm-hmm. because they want the money that the university is going to give them if they play ball their way? Well, I, I agree with that to a point, but I also understand real life. Um, I'm a married guy trying to get tenure and security. I've, right. I've got three or four kids, and I got to feed those kids. I got to put those kids through college. I, I think it says more about the power structure of the universities themselves. Uh, the people who, who decide tenure do they want real, inquisitive science going on or they would just want status quo going on and good question and i think and i, I think that's those are really the folks i think mm-hmm. look at I, I know for a fact there are a lot of folks out there who are scientists by trade who are interested in these topics but who due to job con- security concerns mm-hmm. they cannot at least publicly um, express interest or work with us on these things. Let's change the subject a little bit. Tell me about your book. Okay, Patty, it is called. Story. Sure, no, that's okay. It's uh, it's called Shadow Cats: The Black Panthers of North America, mm-hmm. and uh, it's put out by Anomalous Books, um, who do great great stuff. I, w- I was thrilled that they wanted to have any part of of this project of mine, and. Uh, it's it basically talks about all the stuff we've been discussing when it comes to this Black Panther mystery. Mm-hmm. We have dozens of historical accounts, color photographs, uh, modern accounts, theories as to what we're dealing with, what people are see- seeing, the likelihood. Jaguar, cougar, giant feral cats. Uh, there's a smaller wildcat in Texas called a jaguarundi that has a long tail and can be very dark colored. Uh, we talk about all that. Um, we discussed this whole hair sample, uh, fiasco that we just talked about. Right. Uh, I've tracked down a bunch of big cat experts, uh, sent a survey to them, got their opinions on about 20 different questions, uh, regarding the, the whole mystery. And then there's a chapter dedicated to genetics, um, and why that makes some, types of known cats more likely to be our prime suspect than others. And, uh, you know, the science behind melanism, how it works and, uh, things like that. So, um, it's, it's out now. It was actually published in, in February. We also looked at, uh, habitat. Is there enough room for these things? And, 
And there's a sighting distribution map in there where I've charted the location of the sightings that I have deemed credible. I'm up over 150 credible sightings now wow. in the state of Texas alone and have easily twice that many sightings that I just have a little bit of a question about in my database that I did not include. I only went with the ones I thought were the absolute most solid to put it on the map. And uh, we're looking for patterns. We're looking for, um, you know, where are these mm -hmm. things? And so that's all included in the book. Um, it was a lot of fun to do. Um, and where's your book available? Is it available online uh, on yes, Amazon sir. and yes. other uh, online uh, retailers? It is. It's available pretty much where online books are Excellent. available. So Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, you know, those kinds of places. If you go um, uh, to the blog, uh, the Texas Cryptid Hunter blog site, there's a link there that will take you straight to Amazon. Mm -hmm. If you want to get a, a signed copy, you can contact me directly. My email address is is on the on the blog spot there where you can uh, get in touch with me directly. Report a sighting yourself uh, if you'd like a copy of the book, you know, all that kind of stuff. Super. Um, you can get with me, and I'll be glad to get back with you. And once again, Exonation, uh, Michael's uh, blog spot is texascryptidhunter.blogspot.com. Now tell me about your illustrated children's book, Patty, a Sasquatch story. Okay. Um, this was just an idea I had floating around in my head for years before I actually took any action on it. Um, basically you take the Patterson Gilmlin film footage of, you know, taken at Bluff Creek in 1967. Um, the subject of that film footage, the Sasquatch in it or the creature, whatever you want to call it, uh, was nicknamed Patty. It was right. obviously a female, and the, the Patty name was a tribute to Roger Patterson. It was a play off of his name. And that thing has been dissected, you know, seven ways to Sunday for decades now. And a lot of people have even questioned why Patterson and Gimlin were there in the first place, and their story has been examined and reexamined and dissected. Mm -hmm. It just occurred to me, I said, nobody's really thought about why was that animal there what was the creature there and so i kind of just in my mind uh, came up with a, a children's story about why patty as she is known why she was there in, in order to for those guys to see her and it's it's basically uh, a twist on the ugly duckling story oh. um she and i'll how much detail you want to get into, but she's a big foot with little feet. And so she's picked on and teased and, and she runs away and that's where, why she's out there in the middle of nowhere by herself. And that's where she's seen and filmed by these guys. And, um, of course things turn around for her in the end, but, um, that's, that's the basic premise of the children, children's book. I love it's it. Yeah. It's beautifully illustrated. We got by a guy named Robert Swain, who, People in the Bigfoot world probably be familiar with uh, with Robert. He did a he's done a series of books of far side style one panel cartoons that are Bigfoot themed called uh, Laugh Squatch, and he did a beautiful beautiful job. Um, and, and it's really it's um, it's a beautiful book to look at. Even if you got little bitty kids who, who aren't reading yet, it's a great book to look at. And uh, he's um, we actually got together and he. 
embedded in each illustration, two or three kind of not hidden, but things that are relevant to people who are into the whole Bigfoot phenomenon. And uh, we have a, a section in the back called the Sasquatch Insider and where those things are revealed and why they're important. Why is um, this oil drum and this bulldozer in, in this picture? And we go back to when um, they were building the road through through that area and the work crew would come back. Jerry Crew, who discovered the footprints, you know, found oil drums thrown around near his bulldozer and things like that. So it's all kinds of little tidbits and details in those illustrations that are explained in the back. Michael, I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's always a great pleasure talking to you, and I look forward to the next time you and I meet back here in the Exxon. If anything important comes up in the world of cryptozoology, let us know. We'll get you right on. I absolutely will. Thank you so much. You take care of yourself and enjoy your summer. Thank you, sir. Exxon Nation, my guest this hour has been Michael Mays. Find out more about Michael. TexasCryptidHunter.blogspot.com I'll be back on the other side of the news at six and a half minutes past the top of the hour as we continue here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. This is the X-Zone.